lot. Uh, and at the same time, he is also a pastor, and he has wonderful help uh, co-pastoring with him, Pastor Jack. Uh, but I would like to say thank you to their church there in Fredericton, New Brunswick, for allowing uh, their pastor to be a blessing all over the world. And I am so thankful that they were so kind to allow you to be here with us today. You have blessed us this weekend. We look forward to one more service with you. God bless you. Thank you. Let him know that you appreciate him. Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. It's wonderful to be in church today. And uh, I was looking over a quote. Somebody put a quote online a few days ago that I've heard many, many times before. And uh, they were kind of, uh, <laughs> I think they were trying to tell us that we were kind of dumb for doing what we do on Sunday. They said kind of sarcastically, you know, um, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a garage makes you a car. Yeah, they got a point. I thought about that a while, and I thought, yeah, but what if you are a car? Then you'd go to a garage, especially if you needed maintenance, a checkup. Somebody, uh, they said, well, you know, if you needed a car wash and you were a car, you'd go get washed. Um, so I'm glad to be in church today. I don't come to church because I have to or because somebody expects me to. I come to church because I'm wanting to serve God and do what's right. And, and God loves it when we get together. And uh, so I'm really glad to be here uh, with all of you today. And, and I do bring you greetings from the wonderful folks in, in Fredericton. They had a good service this morning. Pastor Jack preached and I get to watch that on the webcast this morning before I uh, came over here. And uh, one of the exciting things that's happened uh, recently for us, we had uh, a couple there in their 60s, uh, but uh, we sent them as Amers, uh, Associates of Missions, to the country of China. And uh, they were there for about three years, and then they've just come home within the last two months to look after her aging parents. Their names are David and Debbie. And while they were in Guangzhou, China, they not only started a church in Guangzhou, but they started one in Yunfu, China. And then they had another outreach in another city that uh, the name escapes me. And even if I said it, you, I could just make up any word. You wouldn't know that it's not a Chinese city. Uh, some of the names are so uh, uh, different to, to us. But Guangzhou is a beautiful city. I've been there once. And uh, they, in three years, God sent them a young couple from Colombia. Uh, South America, to go to China, they're on business, and they installed uh, Pastor Jason and his wife uh, before David and Debbie returned home. We just got the report that, uh, and we got, had pictures this morning, uh, two were baptized in Yunfu uh, just this week in the name of Jesus, and two more going to be baptized in Guangzhou next uh, Sunday in Jesus' name. And They don't have it nice like we do here. Um, they have to get a little inflatable swimming pool and kind of smuggle it into the apartment where they're meeting. And then they fill it up with buckets from the kitchen sink. And then they baptize people in this little inflatable pool. Um, I, I'm just grateful for the freedoms that we have to worship God and to serve God. It's a blessing to be here. I'm going to go to the Word of the Lord. This is the first book in your Bible, Genesis. We're going to go to chapter 4. And let me just uh, set the, uh, uh, the, the story for you before we read our text. Genesis chapter 4, the Bible says that 
Adam and Eve had a son, and their firstborn son was named Cain. Everybody say Cain. So that was their firstborn. Uh, he didn't have anything to do with the chicken place that I know of, uh, but uh, they did raise Cain. And, uh, and then she uh, had another son, and they called the second son uh, Abel. And so the first son of Adam was named Cain, and the second son of Adam was named Abel. And uh, so these two boys, they're brothers. And we're told very specifically, and you know, there's nothing in your Bible by accident. There's nothing there that's incidental. It's all to teach us something. And the Bible tells us very specifically that Abel was a keeper of the sheep. He worked herding sheep, and he kept sheep, and that was his life and his occupation. Cain worked in an entirely different area of life. He was a farmer. He worked in the dirt of the earth, and and he knew what it was to be a farmer. And down here in his fields, he planted crops, and and he uh, sowed seed. And he knew the, the cyclical nature of farming, that if you planted a seed, and you waited, and you were patient, and you tended it, and you watered it, then by and large, soon, sooner than later, you'd have a harvest. And so that was his life. He worked in the dirt of the ground. That was Cain. Cain was the firstborn son of Adam. Abel was the secondborn son of Adam. And we're told a very uh, important story in their lives. God asked them to bring an offering. And we're told in Scripture that the life of the flesh is in the blood and that blood makes atonement for our sin. That if you've sinned, you deserve to die and your blood should be shed. That can be literally, but that can also be spiritually. That literally, it's your life spent in sin merits your life being forfeited in eternity. And ladies and gentlemen, eternity's too long to be wrong. We just got to get this right. And so Abel... The second son of Adam, he brought uh, an animal from his flock, as God asked, that blood should be shed to atone for sin. And he did that, and God was pleased. Cain was kind of an independent sort of a guy. And instead of Cain uh, going to his brother and saying, hey, we need a blood offering, let me buy or let me borrow or let me have one of your lambs and I'll offer it, Cain decided he was going to come up with a brand new way to approach God. And so he just picked some vegetables from his uh, crops, and he took an offering of uh, vegetables, basically, to the Lord, the fruit of the ground. And that didn't please God because it didn't atone for sin. There was no uh, blood offering there. And, and so then we have this unreal uh, story. The Bible tells us that God's angry with Cain, and Cain's angry with God. And it's going back and forth, and people get like that today, you know, uh, they think that, you know, God should just give them the discount method or God should, you know, let them come up with kind of their own plan of salvation. And a lot of people do that. They kind of blend, you know, Eastern mysticism and they blend American values and they blend, uh, you know, basic uh, human rights and they blend all kinds of religious thinking and a little bit of Bible. And they kind of come up with the way that they think it should be fair for them to approach God. And they almost get angry when when God doesn't accept that. But God, he's got this problem. He knows that he's God. And and it's kind of like God says to us, you know what? Hey, when you get your own universe, you can make your own rules. But this is my universe, so I'm going to make the rules. And so some people, they get kind of offended. Well, Cain was offended. and, And so 
he's not only offended at God, he's offended at his brother. So here's our text this morning, Genesis 4, verse 8. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass. Now, remember, there's nothing in your Bible by accident. It came to pass that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, thy brother? And he said, I know not. Let me just give you a word of advice. It's useless to lie to God. Uh, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Uh, And the Lord said to him, Cain, what have you done? You just killed your brother. You just buried the evidence. But Cain, and God says something that's an eternal principle right here. Cain, the voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. So let me just set this up. Abel works up here in the sheepfold. He, he, he works uh, tending sheep, and that's his job. But one day, Abel, the second son of Adam, he goes over to the territory of Cain, the first son of Adam. And while the second son of Adam is in the territory, the field, of the first son of Adam, the first son of Adam lifts up his hands and with wickedness and hatred, he kills the second son of Adam. And he buries his brother's body. But what he doesn't understand is that blood has a certain power in the eyes of God. And so when Abel's blood, although he was dead and buried, when his blood began to seep out of his body and soak into the ground, all the evidence was hidden. Cain thought he had it covered. But the blood entered the ground, and God said, Cain, you don't understand. I can hear the voice of your brother's blood crying to me, and and, and Cain, you're in trouble. Because Abel's blood, because it's innocent blood, His innocent blood has a voice, and it's crying to me. Now, with your human ear, you cannot hear blood, which is probably a good idea because you'd hear everybody's heartbeat and pulse and whatever. Be a little distracting. But if you go to your physician and your doctor takes an instrument called a stethoscope and they put it here or they put it here, they can hear your blood move, your pulse, your heartbeat. That's actually your blood coursing through your body. And they can hear the pulse of the blood. So you can't hear blood with your physical ear, but you take an instrument, you can hear blood move. But if you had the ear of God, God can hear blood talk. Blood has a voice. Now, we're going somewhere. And if you're a Bible reader, you probably already figured out where we're going. Cain is the first son of Adam. Do you know the Bible uses that term, the first Adam? Cain was the first son of Adam, and he was sinful. Abel, the innocent brother, he's the second son of Adam, and the Bible also uses the term second Adam. Here it is. Paul the Apostle is writing to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45. So it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The first Adam was made a living soul. So so that's like us. We are like the first Adam. 
We have a living soul. We have personality. Some of you have a funny personality. Some of you have a little bit of a weird personality. Uh, I, I don't know that. Nobody told me that. I'm just saying. And, and if you were offended by that, that's you, okay? Uh, so, so some of you, you have like a different temperament than others. And you have a different temperament than somebody else in your own family. We're the first Adam. We, uh, we live and we have a living soul. But the last Adam, or the second Adam, he was different than us. That's Jesus Christ. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Jesus was more than just another human being born, just another baby born. He was more than just another prophet or religious leader. He was more than just a good teacher or even a miracle worker. He was a quickening spirit. He was literally God, God's spirit in a body. That's what Jesus was. And so the Bible says, Paul said it in verse 45, he said, the first man, Adam, he was made a living soul. That's us. But the last Adam, the second Adam, he was made a quickening spirit. And and in case we didn't get it there, jump to verse 47, he says this, the first man, that's us, everybody say, that's me. The first man is of the earth and he's earthy. He's just carnal and and he's uh, earthy. But the second man, in case you missed who he was, he is the Lord from heaven. So so in the opening chapter, this is so cool. In the opening chapters of your Bible, there's this story. And if you read it on the surface, it just looks like, you know, fratricide, a brother killing his brother. But it's more than a murder. It's actually a, an event that happened. And God said, I'm going to use that event to show my people something. That someday there will be the second Adam. It'll be me robed in a body of flesh and I'll leave heaven. I'll leave my territory and I'll come to the territory of the first Adam. The first Adam, humanity, my creation, they were born in sin because Adam sold them into sin with his sin in the Garden of Eden. And so now every baby, no matter how cute or how precious they are, they have a sin nature born in them. The first Adam, he He's of the earth and he's earthy. But someday the second Adam is going to come from his territory. He's going to come to our territory. Now, here's what's sad about that story. That when Jesus came to our territory, the earth he'd created, the people he'd created, we took wicked hands and the second Adam was killed by the first Adam. Jesus was crucified by his own creation. That's the sad part. But here's the glad part. When his blood came trickling down that rugged cross, when it hit this earth that had been cursed by sin, when his blood entered into the earth that he had created that had been tainted by the devil and tainted by all the sins of humanity, when his blood came out of his body, his body was killed, but Jesus was not just a man, so only his body was killed. There was part of Jesus that could not die, and that was the God part. And so when his blood entered into this earth, just like Abel's blood entered into the earth, God said, I can hear the blood 
talking. And I'm glad to stand here on a Sunday morning and say that the precious, sinless, powerful blood that was shed by Jesus Christ on the cross, it still has a voice. It's still talking. It's still speaking for me. And the voice of the blood says, I can be forgiven. And the voice of the blood says, I can be delivered. And the voice of the blood says, my addiction can be conquered. And the voice of the blood says, I can have a brand new life because the blood that Jesus shed, it's still talking. That's that's an amazing thing. Now, how God uh, set that up is amazing to me in the opening chapters of the Word of God. Abel died, killed by his own brother, and it's like his blood became his defense attorney. It began pleading his case. You know, the, the elders in our particular church, they taught us something when we were just really young. And sometimes we get kind of so... Uh, modern maybe is the word, that we forget some things that were very powerful and precious. And one of the things they taught us to do when we were praying, they taught us literally to say, my great uncle, I have his Bible. He was the first apostolic in our family. And in the front of his Bible, he has these words written because he was an elder and he knew what it was to do this. He traveled all around the world doing missionary work. And this is written in the front of his Bible in his own hand. When in danger, plead the blood. And that's what the elders taught us to do. They said, when you get in trouble and the devil's giving you grief or there's a circumstance you don't understand or you're fighting hell itself, here's what you need to do. It's not your strength that's going to win the day. It's not your muscles that are going to be able to fight the devil. You need something greater. But thank God Jesus shed sinless, perfect, powerful blood that cleanses sin and fights the devil. And so that's what they taught us. When you get in trouble, plead the blood. I had somebody tell me, oh, maybe last year. They said, I don't like that. Plead the blood. Plead the blood. Sounds like we're begging. I just looked at them like they had two heads. It's not pleading the blood as in, oh, I beg, I plead the blood. No, no, no. It's, it's in the sense of a courtroom. When you are in trouble with the law, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on that one. When you are in trouble with the law and you're standing in court and everything's weighing on what the judge says, you want to have a defense attorney that comes in and pleads your case. That's the sense of pleading the blood. When I plead the blood, it's saying, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I've got Jesus' blood that says he was a sinner. When, when I'm addicted, I've got Jesus' blood that says, no, I bought his freedom. When I've got issues and problems and struggles, I've got this blood that pleads my case. It's not blood I had to shed. I should have had to shed my blood. I should have had to be punished for my sin. But thank God, Jesus took my punishment and he shed his blood. And his blood is still talking today. And it's talking for me. And it's talking for you. And it says there's no victory over him because of my blood. His sins aren't attached to him anymore because of my blood. I'm glad the blood still speaks. Uh, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's amazing. See, the devil, he's, he's really, really strong. And he's really, really evil. And he doesn't play by the rules. And he's a fierce opponent. And he's very crafty and cunning. And really, really, really dumb. 
Here's why I know the devil's dumb. Because he didn't see Calvary coming. He orchestrated the crucifixion. He had those Roman soldiers and those Jewish religious leaders. He had them just like puppets on a string. And he orchestrated the crucifixion of Jesus. Somehow he had a blind spot. He knew Jesus was a good man. He knew Jesus had lived a sinful life. He knew Jesus was a miracle worker and a rabbi and a teacher. He knew Jesus had even cast out demons. But somehow God blinded the devil's eyes so he didn't really get who Jesus was. And when he took him to Calvary, he orchestrated the crucifixion. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and Jesus' body is beating him. It's just brutalized. Calvary wasn't pretty. Calvary was gory. And Jesus is breathing his last. And he says, it is finished. And he gives up the ghost. He bows his head and dies. I don't know if the devil misheard that. Maybe he thought Jesus said, I am finished. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, salvation is finished. The victory is completed. Sin has been conquered. It is finished. So the devil, he's walking away from Calvary, kind of dusting off his hands, thinking, well, that'll take care of that. And the next thing he knows, Jesus is in his domain taking the keys of death and hell and rising from the dead under his own power. No man could do that. And that's when the devil finally figured it out. Jesus was almighty God in a body of flesh. Now, here's what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 8, which none of the princes of this world knew. None of the princes of this world recognized the wisdom of God. For had they known it, they would not have been so stupid as to try to crucify the Lord of glory. That's what the devil did. The devil thought by crucifying Jesus, he would shut down the gospel and prevent us all from getting to heaven, prevent us all from having the salvation that Jesus talked about. But all he did when he killed Jesus on the cross is he allowed the blood that had been in Jesus' body to come out of his body. And when his blood entered into this earth that had been cursed, the curse was conquered. And that's how we can be set free. I thank God for that. It's, a, it's amazing. And, and, and this was powerful blood. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For as much as you know, Peter said, you weren't redeemed by corruptible things like silver and gold from your vain conversation. This wasn't just received by tradition from your fathers, but you were saved by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. This is precious blood. Powerful blood that cleanses our sin. Hebrews 9, verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves. That's the sacrifices they made in the Old Testament. But by his own blood, Jesus entered in once. Not a hundred times. Not ten thousand times. But just once, he entered into the holy place. And he obtained, with his precious, perfect, sinless blood, he obtained eternal redemption for us. But this is the one I like the best. Paul's talking. Paul's always talking. He writes half the New Testament. Paul talks. He's like me. He talks, talks, talks. Acts 20, verse 28. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves 
and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. He's talking to some leaders. He said, now here's what you need to do, guys. Feed the church of God. Shepherd them and pastor them because the church is the most valuable thing you could ever imagine. When God wanted a planet, he spoke it into existence. When God wanted a tree, he spoke it into existence. When God wanted oceans and fish and when he wanted birds and animals, he spoke it into existence. But this church is different. It is the church that God purchased with his own blood. So ladies and gentlemen, it's not this building which is wonderful but you're seated among the church of the living God this is the only thing God ever had to buy this is the only thing that was so valuable that God actually bought it with his perfect sinless blood that's why we sing thank God for the blood that washes me as white as snow. That's why we get excited when we talk about Calvary. That's why we get excited when we talk about Jesus' sacrifice. And the good news is that the blood is still talking today. It's amazing. Look at this. Hebrews 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Well, we know that from Genesis 4. By which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. Watch this, though. And by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. Now, the distance between Genesis chapter 4 and Hebrews chapter 11 has got to be a distance of about 4,000 years. And, and, and God said... Cain's blood, or Abel's blood, rather. Abel's blood is still talking. The man that his blood was shed by his brother Cain, his blood is still speaking. And even though he's dead, God said, I can still hear it 4,000 years later. Hebrews 12, 24, in case you miss it there. We haven't come to Abel, and we haven't come to Abraham, and we haven't come... We have come, Hebrews 12, 24, we've come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Watch this. And we've come to his blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. So, so just, just get the point. The writer of Hebrews says 4,000 years later, because Abel was innocent, his blood is still speaking 4,000 years later. Now, Jesus was the son of the living God. His blood was the blood of God. The Bible tells us that in Acts chapter 20. So, so if Abel's blood, just by virtue of being an innocent man, just by virtue of being a good man, if his blood could still be talking 4,000 years later, then Jesus was only crucified 2,000 years ago. How much more do you think his blood is still available to be our defense attorney today? It's amazing. It's amazing. So, so here's the point. When the devil said you should have been destroyed, when sin tried to eat up your life, when addiction tried to bind you, and when the devil tried to get you, the only thing that's different about us from everybody else is not that we were stronger, smarter, better, more religious, more perfect, or anything else. That's ridiculous. We're just like everybody else. The only difference is, into my life, when I obeyed the gospel, the blood stepped between me and destruction, and the 
blood started talking for me. And the blood of Jesus Christ said, "Uh uh-uh, this is my child now, so sin back off. Devil, back up. Addiction, you've got to go. Bondage, you've got to leave. So I'm here today not because I'm so perfect. I'm here because he's perfect. I'm not here because I'm righteous. I'm here because he's righteous. I'm not even here because I'm good. I'm here because God is good, and the blood of Jesus talks for me. And when judgment said I should have been destroyed, the blood got in between me and judgment and said This one is mine. If the blood hadn't spoken for some of us, we wouldn't even be here. Some of us would be in rehab. Some of us would be in the hospital. Some of us would be in the mortuary or the cemetery if the blood hadn't got between us. And so we know what this is about. Some of us, it was a near car wreck. But at the last second, we said, Jesus! And the blood stepped in between us and certain death. Some of us, it was a disease. But somebody prayed the prayer of faith. And we're here today worshiping God because the The blood said, I'm a healer. The blood said, I'm a deliverer. The blood talks for me today. The psalmist said in Psalm 124, verse 2, he said, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, the enemy would have played gotcha with you for the rest of your life, but the Lord was on your side, so he couldn't do it. It's amazing. Let me come to a close. Um, This is really important, I think. Cain was a tiller of the ground. He was a farmer. He spent his whole life working in the dirt, digging and planting and sowing seed and and waiting and tending and hoping for rain. And he knew that if he planted in that ground, eventually, if he was patient, he'd get a harvest, he'd get a crop. He knew that. That was his whole life. And that was always the way it worked, year in, year out. Plant the crop, tend the seed, be patient, and you'll get your harvest. And it worked that way for Cain until the fateful day that the first son of Adam lifted up his hands and killed the second son of Adam. And when Cain killed his brother Abel and buried his body in the ground to hide the evidence, and when Abel's innocent blood seeped out into the ground, God said, Cain, here's what he said. You can read it, Genesis 4. He said, no more will this ground yield to you its strength. And so Cain became a vagabond, moving from one place to another, to another, to another, looking for a place to farm because that ground was now cursed, not by sin, but it was cursed to him. The curse had transferred over to him, and he could plant all the seed he wanted. He could tend all the crops he wanted, but what had worked before in that ground would no longer work anymore because the blood had entered the ground. Let me tell you something. This ground... See, we came from the earth too. God created us from the earth. This ground, the devil used to be able to sow a seed, to just put a temptation in front of me, to just plant a thought in my mind. And and I was so addicted and I was so bound and I was so sinful. And don't look at me religious, you were too. And we just followed right after that. And the devil, he was just patient. He said, I planted the seed. I'm just going to wait for the harvest. And boy, for some of us, the harvest almost killed us. For some 
some of us, the harvest was destruction. For some of us, it was addiction. For some of us, it was bondage. For some of us, it was hatred and animosity and strife and all kinds of sorrow in our lives. And the devil just stands back gloating because he knows if he can get the seed into your life early enough, all he has to do is wait and you'll destroy yourself with the crop that he planted in your life. And so for the devil, it's just a waiting game for him. Some of you precious people, we're not a massive, massive crowd here this morning, but here's how the stats line up. There's at least somebody in here that the devil, when you were in grade school, when you were in junior high, when you were somewhere in high school or college, that the devil, he sowed some seeds into your life. For some of you, it was a temptation to sin. For some of you, it was some kind of addiction. But for some of you, it was some horrible abuse that somebody did to you. And the devil sowed that seed in your life. And he's just been standing back waiting, knowing that if you live long enough, you'll turn into some bitter, hate-filled person that won't even be able to have normal relationships. Because when you were 6 or 8 or 12, he sowed seed into your life. And he's been waiting all this time for that seed to grow up and grow into a crop of sin so that he can destroy you. But I got news for the devil. The blood has entered this ground. So what used to work doesn't work anymore. What used to happen doesn't happen anymore what used to hold me bound it doesn't hold me bound anymore and if that's you this morning you owe a debt of praise to God because the blood still speaks for us so I believe it just like the elders taught us stand with me I believe it just like they said Joseph, he caught a glimpse of the principle in Genesis 50, verse 20, when he talked to his brothers. He said, everything you did to me, you meant it for evil. But my God, he turned it around on you, and he used it for good. There's a scripture that says, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Some of you have heard that scripture. Uh, You know, there's no punctuation in ancient Hebrew, and so... Sometimes I I think we preach the right things, but because there's no punctuation in ancient Hebrew, sometimes we put the emphasis in the wrong place. I think that might be one of those verses. Now, some of us, you know, we text now. You know, we're we're on our phones texting, so we don't hardly use punctuation anymore. And that drives some uh, grammar teachers crazy, by the way. Because their perspective is, you know, punctuation is important. It's really important because, for example, to say, let's eat comma, grandma, is very different than saying, let's eat grandma. It's very different. The outcome is totally different. And sometimes in Scripture, I think we put the punctuation in the wrong place, not because we're trying to misinterpret it, but because it didn't have punctuation in the ancient Hebrew. And that Scripture, we say it like this, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, comma, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. I think the comma is in the wrong place. I think it should be read like this. When the enemy shall come in, comma, (laughs) like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. See, the flood is not on the devil's side. The flood's on your side. The name of Jesus is not on the devil's side. The name is on your side. The blood is not on the devil's side. The blood is on our side. The Spirit of God in the Bible, they're not on the devil's side. They're on our side. And so who is it this morning that you need the blood to speak for you? You need the blood to speak a healing or a delivering word into your life. That's here for you this morning.
Now, I don't know all of your customs here, and I'm finished, but I would like it if you would just reach over to somebody standing next to you, and whatever's comfortable, I'm not trying to, you know, get in your face or your space, but if you just put your hand on their shoulder or maybe take them by the hand if that feels more natural. It doesn't even matter if you know their name. We're just connecting as, as believers here. But I'd like you to pray with them and for them right now. Because you don't know, even if you know them, even if they're part of your family, you may not know what they're facing in their heart of hearts. But the blood of Jesus is here. And God knows. And God, better than that, He can fix it. Right now, Jesus, I pray for every life that is here. Right now, Jesus, I pray for every family that is present. Right now, Jesus, I pray that the blood that's been speaking for so many years, 2,000 years, that that blood would speak for so today. And that blood would say, I am the Lord that healeth thee. That blood would speak to addiction and bondage and sickness and depression. That blood would speak to strife. That blood would speak to stress. That blood would speak to sin itself and say, you meant it for evil, but God is going to use it for good. God's going to turn this into a testimony of His grace. I pray that in Jesus' name this morning. I pray that in Jesus' name.